Hello there. Welcome to another edition of Adsum with David Firth. So hello everybody, welcome to another edition of Adsum. I was thinking about what an extraordinary and beautiful thing relationship is because today's guest on my podcast, we're going to unpack a bit how we met and how often we've met, but but my memory is that we've actually been in verbal conversation, saying words to each other out loud, maybe once, maybe twice in our lives. Have we been in the same room, same physical location more than once or twice in the sort of 20 odd years since we first met? I don't think so. But when I was thinking of the people I wanted to be on my podcast with me, Adam Bali's name was there because I've always felt to be in relationship with Adam Bali. And, and I just wanted to spend just a couple of moments on that and then we'll, Adam, Adam will come into the conversation here. But, you know, outside of this room where I'm recording this is my wife, Carrie, who I've been in a relationship with for about 35 years. And that's what we say on Facebook, isn't it? In a relationship. And, you know, for the last six or seven months, we've been very much physically together in this relationship. But the relationship I'm talking about here is this relationship of shared space, shared values, shared principles, shared beliefs, whatever it might be. And it doesn't have, you don't have to be in the same physical location or on in regular communication to experience that sense of, I'm in relationship with, Adam Bali. I'm in relationship with who else on this planet? I'm in relationship with what else on this planet? So Adam, those are the thoughts that came to me when I woke up this morning. And welcome to the podcast. Thank you, David. Lovely introduction and one that fits entirely with my experience too. Yes. I, I feel exactly the same way. Yeah. And I believe we only met once, but we have we've been in sporadic conversation via email and messages yeah, and absolutely. and our repeated kind of oh maybe we could do that together, but that didn't work out. And then oh yeah. maybe that. But now this and it is working <laughs> out. And I'm so glad. It's very nice to see you again and actually be in conversation again. But I have exactly the same experience that yeah. I've had this sort of there's my relationship with David has been a, yes. a kind of had a, a place in my That's life. Right. Not a big place, but it's there. It's, it's been there. there since I met you, and I'm happy about that. That's right. And and then when I when I ask you, hopefully that's be part of the reasons that when I asked you to be on the podcast, the answer was a quick yes, as opposed to well, absolutely, yeah. Let me just that go back to my emails. <laughs> immediate, yes. There's no question about it. Yeah, delighted. Right. And so let's unpack. Where did we meet? How did I know that it's something to do with the Gabriel Roth? five rhythms yeah yeah well in those days when i was in the thick of it teaching the five rhythms all over the world which i did for a long time i'm over 25 years mm. and i think it was the early noughties when i saw you and i was beginning to foray out into the corporate world to bring movement work into the corporate world Yes. And I don't know how your name came up someone mentioned you and said you should talk to david Right. And and so we did. We talked on the phone and actually I think you lived quite near my parents. So I just dovetailed it in with a visit to them while I was seeing them in Derbyshire. 
um, oh, or York, Yorkshire. Okay. I think they were in Yorkshire, Yorkshire at the time. Yeah. And uh, so I came to see you, and uh, and you were just very generous in giving me some feedback and reflection on what I was thinking of doing and yeah. what I might try and what's useful. And yeah, cool. so it was that. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And yeah. and you know, you, you obviously you're going to share this this podcast with your your network, who will know very much what I guess what, what the five rhythms work is. But for yeah. people more in my world, who mm -hmm. I mean, there'll, there'll be some people listening to this who have actually done a little bit of that in the corporate mm -hmm. world with me. You know, mm -hmm. but how would you describe the five rhythms work? I would describe the five rhythms as a movement meditation practice, mm -hmm. which sometimes gets boppy enough to look like dance. Yes, but really, at the heart of it, it's a movement practice. It's certainly not a performance-based thing. Yeah, and it's a way of getting in touch with yourself and relating to others non-verbally, and really getting yourself into the present moment in a very strong and vibrant, tangible way. Yeah, because well, maybe I'll come back to that. And um, and it's it's a great tool for team building and personal development and like yeah. so a lot about it that's very suited to any kind of um sort of development work in yes. any world whatsoever including the corporate world yes. uh, having said that the people who over the years gravitated around the five rhythms as a practice uh tended to be what a lot of people would call hippies or spiritual seekers and yeah. and um and so quite a lot of the languaging and sort of atmosphere around it is very much not suitable for the corporate world yeah. so there's one of the thing one of the ways in which i took my work for a while um to be more sort of mainstream and less cliquey mm. and that that sort of took another leap in a way um early last year when i left the five rhythms world and created zero one which yeah. is a which is similarly a movement-based meditation practice yeah. and but i i i would say i've taken it another notch further in integrating um verbal methods of being present and communicating and understanding into the movement practice i i use more speech now even whilst moving but i wow. also give more time after or before speaking to get clear about intentions and what yeah. the understanding has been and the learning has been so so it's a it's a development of what i've been doing for the last yes 30 years if you include the time in which i was studying five minutes before i started That's teaching right. Yeah. And we'll come on to zero one in a little while, and and something which I know you're very passionate about at the moment, with which is the Euler identity. Is that the correct? Yeah, the... Euler's identity, Euler's. Uh, as <laughs> as in the identity belonging to Euler. But that's a slightly Euler. odd phrase, but yes, <laughs> it does. Isn't it? That's what, in all communication terms, that's what's called a hook, Adam. And we're <laughs> <laughs> looking, up, looking up Euler online as they listen to this, going O I L E R. No, you uh, yeah, no, no, you did very well, basically. <laughs> just missed off the apostrophe s but yes for those of you just listening it's e-u-l-e-r and yeah. yeah he was a swiss french swiss mathematician but we can get back to that we will get back to so, that and um and we, we must remember to tell people where they can look at the extraordinary video you do we did which i think was fabulous mm. embodiment thank you david you mm. and it and everything that it, it, it implies
Yeah, I mean, I, I was introduced to the five rhythm stuff in the very late 80s, early 90s. Ah, same time as me. Through a woman yeah. called Heather Campbell, who I remember. Asking oh, yeah? yes. Yeah. yeah. Maybe she was even the person who connected us. She might it have could been. have been. She was certainly, yeah. you know, the, 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 hey, listeners, we're just having a private chat now, Adam and I, but <laughs> <laughs> she's also the person who introduced me to Mark Powell. Who we've ah. just in the preparation for this ah, podcast. Found interesting. Lives in the same right. town as Adam now. Um, funny how all this comes together. Mm-hmm. But I was introduced to Five Rhythms by her, and I I really connected with that back then for two main reasons. I think one is that much as I've always labelled myself the shy boy, a shy boy from Yorkshire, take me to any party and I'll dance. If somebody says dance, I, I would have danced back in my partying days. You know. And the other is because, of course, I was in the theatre back then. And, you know, Sir Ralph Richardson, the old, lovely British actor, was once asked, how do you get into character, Sir Ralph? You know, and he said, I start with the shoes. And he didn't mm. actually mean the shoes, he meant the feet and therefore how the character mm-hmm. moves. And if you can sort mm-hmm. of discover or reinvent, reestablish how this character moves, you will then have access to how the character thinks and feels and, and why they're saying these words that the playwright wrote, you know. And so for me, the Five Rhythms work back then was a real embodiment, an extension of the theatre work, where the body is this sort of expression of who you are and what you're saying and why you're wanting to connect with others. Absolutely. That was totally where Gabrielle Roth, who founded the Five Rhythms, was coming from. Yeah. Yeah. And we did in the 90s, Heather and I did some, some work with a manufacturing company called Cathodian. I think they've changed their name since then. And these are these were people, you know, these were people on the shop floor manufacturing things, and the middle managers and the top managers all in a big room together, doing some of that fire rhythm stuff, and it was extraordinary. Mm-hmm. You mentioned team building. I mean, clearly there were the there were people in that room who were like, "Stop this now!" <laughs> <You know? laughs> Can we go back to the flip chart mm-hmm. of the presentations, please? You know, mm-hmm. but there were many who weren't there. You know, right. and they mm-hmm. certainly, if nothing else, and there was a lot of other things great came out of it but if nothing else they had a shared experience of doing something different and that's who they wanted to be as a company you know they wanted to do something different so So, right and then just very quickly then we'll talk about zero one my other experience of dancing in the corporate world was uh out in brazil and Partly because of my experience with Cathodian, I was still I, I still had to do a lot of explaining and trying to make people comfortable. Is why we're going to do what we're about to do, and the, the Latin Americans were like, "Shush, let's just dance." Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, oh, brilliant. Because they were, like, you know, yeah, they were in the corporate world, but they were Latin Americans, and they loved. Yeah, you know, nice. So like, Shut up, David. Wow. Let's just do the thing. You know. <laughs> memory of yeah. that. Yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah. I must have known that you knew Heather, and I'd forgotten that. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So tell us about Zero One. You 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 wanted to take it. So there was something that was not quite. Well, know. you know how it goes when you've been doing something for a long, long time. Yeah. yeah it's, it's the same for many people. You get to that stage where you just don't quite fit anymore. And it felt like that to me. My My own practice was developing and changing. And um, the organization of the five rhythms was developing and changing a lot too. And 
my teaching was changing and those things began to diverge yes. and it didn't just didn't feel like i quite it was quite a good fit for me anymore in that world mm. and i wanted to start teaching and working with movement in slightly different ways and it and actually how it came about that i sort of left the five rhythms i was in a workshop with a colleague i was a participant mm. um dear man in, who's based in paris called mark sylvestre who also does a lot of movement work in the corporate world actually yeah. Yeah. and uh, i was on a workshop with him and he had us he had us do a go through an experience where we had to imagine ourselves pinned in a one meter square box mm. and to really sort of experience what it was like to be that restricted in our movement until yeah. the point where we just couldn't handle it anymore and then we bust out and so i went into this thing and i immediately started feeling a lot <laughs> i probably went bright red in the face and, <laughs> and at some point i just bust out of that box and i i had the biggest most powerful dance i'd had in years wow. like i really freaked out i just like spread myself all over the whole room once i got out of that box yeah and as as i've often found is the case with movement work you don't always know at the time what it is that's happening yes that so it is my experience that like when you move in a way where you're allowing the body to take the lead. You're not really sort of telling your body, okay, now move your arm like this, take a step in that direction. Mm -hmm. But you're rather listening to how the body feels like moving and following that, allowing the wisdom of the body itself to express itself through movement, which is the basis of Gabrielle Roth's work and is still the basis of my work with Zero One. Yes. But when, when you do that, often you don't really know what's happening at the time. And the integration and understanding will come either minutes, hours, or even days later. Yes. And something just falls into place almost magically and you have a sort of aha moment. Yes. And you know, something in your kind of nervous system, be whole psyche being has, has been kind of ruminating or marinating underground and then it pops out as a, as a next step. And, you, and so that's exactly what happened to me. 24 hours after that dance, I was heading home from Lyon. The workshop was in Lyon. I was heading home. I was getting off a train from one train to another. I don't kind of remember what station I was in, somewhere in France. And as I stepped off the train, I suddenly, it was like I looked into my heart and I went, yeah. oh my God, I've left. I've left the five rhythms. I can just feel it. It's like I've stepped out of that box. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh shit now I've, got to, <laughs> now I've got to do it you know yeah uh, now that was a scary that was the beginning i was going to say that was a scary moment but it was really the beginning of a very scary period you know it was yeah. very comfortable being in a big big group of international colleagues and friends and uh, yes. i'h been in that world for 30 years yeah and uh and it was also very comfortable teaching someone else's work where the the real bottom line was i could say this is gabrielle roth's work that i'm teaching and yeah. somehow the buck didn't totally stop with me no. and i was not prepared for just how scary it would be and how vulnerable i felt and all those little you're a fraud voices and, <laughs> you can't right, do this. Yeah, and yeah, all those voices uh, just yeah. uh, they 
cranked up the volume for a good year you know and i i took a while to to manifest it i i didn't even say anything to anyone except a few close friends and family for for a while and i gathered a few people around me to help me shape it and and then i launched it about a year after i'd first stepped off that train or danced out of that box um but the whole process was was more difficult and scary than i imagined it would be but i'm and i'm so glad i did it yes there you yeah. go <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but also i was just thinking that yeah because you, you you've listened to the book adam is one of the few people mm. on the planet who actually heard the audiobook uh because <laughs> it's not quite out yet but you know in the unconditional communication book i i my expression of what you're talking about there is this idea of the upward spiral and, mm. and life not being a series of circles and getting back to a point of thinking, oh God, I'm stuck here. I, yeah. I've been here before, you know, yeah. but actually this process of moving up the spiral and it's not always a lovely, calm, kind experience. It's, uh, it's well, no, it's always kind in the end, <laughs> I think. It might, but it doesn't always feel that way. It doesn't always feel like way at the time. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and we, what, I'd, what I'd love to just pause on and just, just help people reflect on there is, is that, that sense you had, that, that experience you had of it being very big and you were very in touch with the possibility of bursting out of that life into the new life. Mm. And, and scary as it was for you, you're prepared to experience that. Mm. And then, yeah. and, th and then put in some. Okay, let, let, how will I navigate this? I will get some friends around. I'll get some yeah. others. Yeah, but they maybe there's there's a because I'm thinking in particular of all the people I've spoken to over the years about their career development and should they take that step? You know, mm. and sometimes it is about really feeling what you're feeling about that. Mm. Yeah, and and sometimes waiting and you know, like I first wondered whether I should step out on my own a good year before that dance out of the box. Yes. And, um, you know, I, I'm basically, I made this, I had this insight into the nature of a mathematical equation. And yes. at first I tried to sort of cram it into the five rhythms world yes. and, and make it work inside the five rhythms field, yes. but it never quite did, you know? And uh, so, but, uh, but I sat, you know, it was a good year before someone first said, Adam, why don't you just like go and do your own thing? And I was like, oh, no, no. I, I was like, I'm far too loyal to the five rhythms. And, and anyway, it's far too hard work. And sure. no, I don't want to, basically. Yes. But I, I sat with the possibility for a good year. And I, I think, you know, sometimes we just have to wait until the time is right. Yes. And things germinate underground in ways that we don't usually see and understand. Yes. And yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the the maths here, the math, <laughs> mm. the the formula. Tell us now. Let's let's talk a bit about this Euler's identity. Okay. And, and how you came to that. Well, <clears throat> at the risk of um, making anyone who does go and watch the film that I made about this, at the risk of them hearing something twice, I'll, I'll just <laughs> repeat. I'll say the short story that uh, the the film opens with, which is from when I was seventeen. And I was in, uh, there was a, a six, six of us studying further maths, as it was called in England, where mm -hmm. you know, it's called further maths. Yeah, maths. Uh, hi, hi, Americans. I know it should be math. But uh, studying that thing, and there were only six of us. We're all lads because we're all nerds. And yep. um, 
we had a very inspirational teacher, dear, dear Dr. Bryars, who I'm forever grateful to, who was the most inspirational teacher I ever had in school. And 10 minutes before the end of one lesson, he just wiped the board clean and he said, okay, good lads, you don't need to know this for your exams. It's off syllabus, but I want you to know just how beautiful mathematics can get. And that there, that short sentence, or maybe yeah. two sentences, whatever, yep. you know, the, the words are etched into my mind. And the, the next 10 minutes were so inspiring. It's mm. the one bit of my education that I actually remember. I don't remember anything else. I mean, I remember, I remember tipping my chair backwards in German and being bored and <laughs> you know, <laughs> writing a, yeah. things I shouldn't write. We, and, you know, they say, you. Yeah, all of that. <laughs> but that moment, I actually remember what he was teaching us. Yes. And it's the only thing I actually remember. No, it's so vivid. It was so inspiring. And basically, he wrote down these five numbers on the board, yes. or four numbers plus zero, because zero isn't technically a number. So he wrote down these four numbers and their relationship to zero. And yes. then, and the way these numbers fit together, because these four numbers are the most fundamental numbers there are in the whole world of mathematics and you could say if you want to say zero as a number as well then there's the fifth one yes and these five mathematical entities fit together just them in the most extraordinary elegant like gobsmacking way you know once you understand the numbers you literally like your jaw falls open it's like what really (laughs) they fit together like that because like one Two of the numbers have a shape that's infinitely complex. Like one of them's pi and there's another thing. You know, they've got decimal places that go on forever. Yes. So they, they literally have a shape that is infinitely complex. Yes. And then you've got one which is utterly simple. It is simplicity itself, the number one. And then you've got zero, which is this kind of not number. Yes. And then you've got this other entity called I, which is like off on off the charts altogether in another realm. And these things fit together just perfectly. Yes. And they also involve the three most fundamental operation, operations there are of addition, multiplication, and exponentiation. And so it's like you've got the eight things in maths that are more fundamental than anything else. And they all fit together just kind of in this perfect shape with nothing yeah. else. And so all mathematicians know this thing to be just extraordinary. Yes. And, and to date, as far as I'm aware, no one has ever made the kind of bridge to see that that shape that they make because they make a shape it's like a puzzle and they make a shape and what i suddenly noticed about five years ago was like oh my god these this shape is the same shape as a human being Uh. and that my mouth just fell open all over again then because it did when i was 17 you know when dr bryce showed us this thing i was just like I got it, you know, I got how amazing this equation was. And it just sort of sat there in the back of my mind for years. And then I, I went off science and I went into personal development. And well, yep. first I had an environmental sciences degree because I wanted right. to save the planet, but that didn't work out. It all just seemed way too, we were so far out of our depth. I, I couldn't even go there. And, and I became a father. So I got more interested in people. Yes. And I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to save the world, I'm going to, my bit is going to be by trying to help human beings to make a shift. Yes. Because I think that's really what we need. I I do think we need environmental scientists and engineers and everything. I think we do need to sort all that stuff out, but I think we need a miracle 
almost and that that's going to come through the us humans yes waking up and developing and and uh, and learning to communicate well as you say in your book you know and all of <laughs> yeah. that stuff sure. you know, the interpersonal the human scale like i came to the conclusion by the end of my environmental science degree it's got to be about people that that's where the shift is going to come and uh, unless we get that right we can have all the technical fixes we want and they'll yeah. just create more complications and more mess so i turned my attention to people you know, and i forgot about science altogether but i never forgot about that equation but i didn't kind of it just was parked there in the back of my mind as a sweet memory from when i was 17. yeah and and i can tell you there weren't many other sweet memories from when i was 17. <laughs> so it sort of stood out <laughs> well, that's right. cool. what was the guy's name again dr dr Bryas. Right. Yeah. B R Y A R S. I'm just thinking we're going to come back to. I'm going to ask you a lot more about this, mm -hmm. but I'm just thinking about that moment as well. Mm -hmm. What was it that day that said, "Right now, I'm going to, I'm going to wipe this board. I'm going to turn to these guys and I'm going to say, mm -hmm. this is mm -hmm. beautiful.' What, mm -hmm. what was it that went on for him that he would make that declaration, make that invitation to some people, not knowing how they were going to take it? but mm. wanting to say nonetheless yeah not knowing how it would ever you know because you yeah. made this from it you yeah. made this, this stage of your life's work from that moment you know yeah uh, yeah which I, which I, I took our ability 34 to, years or 37 <laughs> years to to mature yeah and yeah and and i mean i what i what i remember my memory of him is that he was showing us what he loves yes and he just yeah. loved that equation, yeah. as all mathematicians do. Actually. That's right. But he he managed to communicate his love for that elegance and beauty yeah. Yeah. to us teenagers. And that love is at the heart of my communication work, even yeah. though <laughs> many of my clients wouldn't use that word. It's not how they mm -hmm. create the purchase order to do the work. It's like David's going to teach us about love. But it's at the heart of all of my communication work. Mm -hmm. That sense of, you know, communication at its essence, in its beauty, is way beyond the ability to put some words on a PowerPoint slide and hope that that will connect with other people. What yes. we're talking about, yeah. and this is for me, you know, what you were just saying about the realization that it had to be the something to do with people's waking up and people's transformation. That's mm -hmm. the relationship I was talking about right at the beginning of this conversation. Yes. Yeah. it has to be i was speaking at a virtual conference last week um and somebody put a comment in the zoom chat box about uh, you know this reminds me of gandhi's famous be the change you want to be see in the world yeah and um i've always been tickled by that quotation because it's one of the things that we share on the internet which the person probably didn't actually say <laughs> you know um but we love the truth of it or the potential of it yeah his the actual quotation he that he wrote in one of his memoirs um says the same thing but in a lot more beautiful way and it's exactly that sense of you know the outer world is a reflection of what's going on here mm -hmm. and we don't actually have to wait for other people to change because we can from how we change ourselves the ripple effect mm -hmm. will connect with other people whatever yeah um, and i loved the way you brought that into your book was, thank was, you yeah yeah nice yeah. Yeah, I don't. I didn't know that. I was. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll share the quotation on the on the podcast page because it's mm. it's it's a beautiful expression of that. 
yeah, I mean, that, you know, we will need to make some changes out there in the world, like talk about climate change, you know, out there in the objective external world, but it's not going to, whatever changes we come up with out there will not be sustained or maintained unless there's an equally or more powerful personal. No, I, th I think whatever we do on an outer level, it carries the imprint of what's going on inside. Yes. And it can't be any other way. It's almost like a law of nature. Yes. And so even if we really do our best to do the right thing on the outer level, it, it's like we'll, we'll, it, it, it will carry like a Trojan horse. It will carry our yeah. shadow material with it, yes. which will then sabotage it at some point. And exactly right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we have to get the inside sorted. So talk about that phrase you use. You, you, I think you said that you realized this was the shape of people, the shape of human mm. beings. Talk a bit about that, because you, you don't mean this equation has got arms and legs and a head. No, I don't. What I mean is that, as I understand it, the shape of a human being is that we have three aspects of our being, which is a body. So we have this sort of physicality to us, and then we have an emotional nature. So we might say we have a heart. Yes. And we're talking about an emotional heart, you know, and our emotional nature or emotional intelligence and then we have a mind yeah. and th those three aspects of body heart mind our are then there's a there's a kind of whole gestalt that forms ar around or within or through that tripartite shape of body heart mind which is like you have davidness about yeah. you Yes. And that that's that's what I would call your soulfulness, your yes. your soul. It's like there's an essential quality which is almost like a color or a vibration. There's a, a kind of sound that is Davidness, and yes. I have my Adamness, and it's it's distinct and unique and personal to each of us, and different from everybody else. And that's soul. Yes. And then and then there's a level of us which is also part of human nature which is transpersonal yes. and at that at that level we are all or as gabrielle roth used to say which i love the way she says it there's only one of us here but yeah. it's not even that we are all one it's that there is only one of us here yeah. she would say that and there would be a kind of silence that would drop in the room as we all sort of just kind of like that it's like the sound of one hand clapping thing and uh <laughs> so i think so i think we have body heart mind and then we have yeah. this very personal soulfulness that is unique to each of us and then there's this transpersonal level at which at which level there is only one of us here yes and that level of where there is only one of us here that is transpersonal is so accurately described by the number zero it's like the number zero has that exact quality yes. of of a kind of formless infiniteness yeah that, that you can't yes. really talk about i mean whole books have been written about the number zero yes it, it's, it's like you can't quite grock it yes you can't, it, it's sort of just <laughs> that bit beyond what yeah. you can grasp it's certainly not nothing no it's not <laughs> there's, there's a something that is nothingness but it's yeah. not nothing it's something and it, it's and the number zero describes it yeah. perfectly yeah. and so and so the zero is that level of the human yes. and then the soulfulness 
is very beautifully described by the number one. That is, you know, when I am my unified, unique, essential beingness that is Adamness, yeah. that that's like my my version of oneness. That yeah. me, one, the number one, my individuality, and and then these other three numbers, e, i, and pi, beautifully describe the nature of body, heart, and mind, wow. and. Because you know, like each of those aspects of a human being has a has a quality to it. The body doesn't move and process and go through life in the same way that the mind does. They're very different, and then the heart is very different again. And so, I talk about that in the film, and without going into it in too much depth, you know. But that's what I mean by the shape of a human being. That each of those numbers is a perfect metaphor for each of those aspects of a human being. And there they are. Uh, not only is each of the numbers a perfect metaphor for that aspect of a human being, they also fit together in a way that perfectly describes the way that the body, heart, and mind fit together and the, the re- that re- relationship to the unity that is soulfulness right. and their relationship to zero. Beautiful. So the, the whole thing is like, and then, so at first I was like, Oh my God, it's the same thing. Ah! You know, I got so excited. And then like eventually, it was eventually, it took me quite a while to calm down. Like I'm talking months. And eventually I started going, well, oh, well, that's not actually that surprising at all. Because as I understand it, that is the nature of this reality that we're in, is that the fundamental patterns that are kind of embedded in the nature of this reality show up in in similar ways in different places like you know like the fractal patterns of leaves and veins and dendrite patterns of the way that water goes through sand if you look at it from the air and you know it, it similar patterns show up in different locations and to my mind this pattern of four pieces constellating around a central empty space that pattern shows up in many different medicine wheels, such as the Native American medicine wheels, the, Kel- the Celtic medicine wheels. It's got a it's got a kind of resonance with the Chinese medical medical system with their five elements and the way that we experience reality as humans has this pattern that shows up in different ways in different cultures and. It's not that surprising that if those ways of seeing of these indigenous maps that uh, that we still have with us, if that shows up in the world of numbers too, well, it's like duh, yeah, of course it does, because because maths actually is the language of nature, as yeah. Galileo said. You know, yeah. it it really is, and uh, maths is like the the structure of numbers is is the nature of this reality. Yes. And vice versa. You could say that the other way around. Sure. So it's not actually that surprising that that pattern shows up in, in numbers. Yeah. Wow. It's cool, isn't it? Well, it, it really is cool. And, and I think one of the things you do beautifully, you just done it beautifully here and also in the film, but you, you, you do, what you do so well, Adam, is name the individual parts mm-hmm. and then that connecting feel mm. that space that that mm. empty space and mm. as soon as you say empty space i think of the empty space of the stage that gets filled with mm. 
thinking of being yeah. walking on and, and creating things out of it, you know. Um, so that's that's beautifully put. And, the, and then where I go, because, you know, my path remains largely in the corporate world. You know, I, I've been doing work mm -hmm. in education recently, a little bit of local government, whatever. But if we just think about the corporate world at the moment, a couple of things I think about. One is, uh, do you know Sir Ken Robinson? Uh, yes, of course, yeah. Just passed recently. Yeah. And in that initial TED talk he did, you know, about creativity in school. Yes. He has that funny, funny line about most people think that the body is the vehicle to carry the brain from meeting to meeting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we all laugh because it's all we all think like that. That's, that's right. Yeah, exactly that's, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whereas of course, when as soon as you begin to go beyond that into the into realizing the beautiful connections between these various parts of us in, inside of this massive space, limitless space. There's so much potential there. And that's the second thing that I got just listening to you again, Adam, was the, you know, for years now, people in business, the leaders in business have been saying, people are our greatest asset. Mm -hmm. To which my answer is always great, nice, nice intention. Tell me about people then. What is your mm -hmm. understanding of a people? Mm -hmm. Good question. And not many people have really thought about it. Right. You know, in the world in the world of work, we tend to think of a people being uh, someone who turns up because they're going to get paid for it. Hmm. So we have this economic identity that we, you know, almost like a cog in a machine. A cog in a machine, yeah. Hmm. And then we've softened all that. We're talking about engagement and corporate culture and leadership as opposed to management and this, that, the other. But we're still. Hmm. I, I don't know who in the business world is saying, hey, business world, if you want true engagement of the whole thing, the individuals who work in it and the whole thing which, which creates this impact in the world, deepen your understanding of what people is, what human being is, and you might want to look in some of these directions, spirit. Soul. Yeah, and yes and i think if you want to deepen your your understanding of what a human being is the fastest route to that is having a direct experience yes. and that requires personal inner inquiry yes and one very fast efficient hotline to that deep inquiry is through the body it's through movement through theater yes through embodied use of the voice yes. you know, like real direct experiences of one's own humanity happen yes. in such a vivid way once you start getting physical yes and, <laughs> absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. yeah the other the other um ted talk that was such a bombshell when it came out in jill bolt taylor's um story about right. when she had a stroke yeah yes and and her description of what it was like to, when her left brain went offline Mm -hmm. and to experience how the other half of her mind was totally embedded in her body and that through the body it was totally embedded in the environment yes and i and i think that kind of access to this more subtle holistic experience of mind mm -hmm. comes through movement in a very effective way yes. and it, it's and it's not a sort of to those people who haven't done that kind of work, it's, it might not be an obvious route into that kind of expanded or deepened experience of being human. But yes. yeah, in my experience, there's nothing like it. But of course, 
in order often in order to do that in order to go there we have to go through some of the barriers we've put up against yes. being that deeply felt yes. uh, or and being that vulnerable there's a kind of vulnerability about really being in touch with your physicality yes that that is inimical to a lot of people's workplace experience sadly yes and you know and you know we go back to your experience of dancing out of the box um mm. you don't know what you're going to discover <laughs> in this space of movement you yeah. know because it's yeah. not about controlling it you know as, yeah. as you were saying mm. as you were saying near the beginning you know it, this is not that this is the five rhythm stuff and the dance you still do is not dance to be watched by somebody else who then gives you a mm. it's for something else it's for discovery of self it's for what's going to arise out of this yeah um, and what will come out of any interpersonal yes interactions that you have because that's an extraordinary way to relate yeah. to be in dance or movement with someone and let all that communication yes. be channeled through nonverbal. It's just, yes. it's, it's like rocket fuel, you know, which, <laughs> which is. is, which is wonderful. And it can, there's a certain riskiness to it yes. when you've got, uh, like particularly in the workplace, if you've got relationships that are quite boundaried and, set within certain parameters on a yeah. daily basis for years and then yes. you put those relationships into a, a relatively unstructured movement environment and stuff can come out and be yes. communicated that people might prefer not to have seen you know so it's, there's a certain riskiness to it yes. but, but i think if you're willing to follow through with verbal communication to integrate the understandings that come out and you've got someone skillful to navigate any um uncomfortableness or conflicts yes. that arise through that it can yes. be so productive and yes. so useful and break through blocks that are really hard to shift in any other way actually my experience of that adam is that that thing which is the which we will label the sort of discovery of and or verbalization of conflict mm -hmm. in in most cases is it, and again it's one of my experience is is the individual discovering their sense of self and the fact that they have a voice and they actually think this and feel this and mm -hmm. i want to express this actually yeah and, and that the other person is doing exactly the same thing and so then mm -hmm. they when they speak that we step back and say oh well they are in conflict you know but it's for me it's a it's a it's a stage in the process of coming back together that we've absolutely only only deepened yes, and strengthened right. yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah. It, yes and so it's it's conflict it might be conflict but it's almost like just well when two people go sort of along a certain rut in a sense or they just sort of truck along in the habitual patterns yeah. managing kind of not to upset any apple carts Yes. But actually, they're doing that by suppressing what their own real truth is, what yes. their real position, they're trying to keep their own position really under wraps. Yes. And then you enter into movement work and the truth comes out, basically. Yes. And it yes. doesn't, it, it just, then you learn how to differ. And it's about yes. learning how to differ and stay together and yes. deepen through that difference. Yes. And I think it's tremendously valuable and, yeah. and enlivening too. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Mm-hmm.
one of the things you shared with me as we were getting ready for the podcast was that you're studying with Gabo Mate at the moment. Yes. Compassionate Inquiry, which, I mean, I've, I've seen yeah. him on various YouTube videos. Um, mm. Hadn't realized he was doing something called Compassionate Inquiry. I'm fascinated by that. Can you say a bit about yes. that? Yes. Yeah. He's, um, he's really opened up the whole field of working with trauma and addiction in a particular way. I mean, there's many people who are leading lights in the field of trauma recovery now. Yeah. Um, as I think most of us are, are aware, and it's like suddenly there's this sort of mass awareness of we're all a bit traumatized, you know, if not a lot <laughs> traumatized, just by being in, in this life and growing up as children. It's like you don't, I don't think anyone gets through childhood unscathed. And, yeah. and then, you know, our culture is so dislocated in some fundamental ways, and it's mm. just not a very easy place to be fully human. Um, but but Gabo Mate has made some unique links between the nature of trauma and the nature of addiction and how those two things are interrelated. Because he worked, uh, he worked in uh, the really bottom of the drug addicted streets in Vancouver for many years. And, they, and he found out that all of those people yes. um, are, were sexually abused or physically abused as children. Yes. And, you know, there's a connection there, you know, but, and so he's, he's made this very strong contribution to the world of recovering from addiction by looking at well what's the addiction for what's what's it helping someone deal with yes and and so i i've been following his work for years and then the student asked me for a reference to join this uh, training with him and i was like oh god and that is doing a training <laughs> and because i've had this feeling for the last few, few months working online a lot more and as i said at the beginning i'm integrating more talk time into the way i work Yes. And I had this feeling like I, I wonder whether I should actually get some kind of therapy training because mm. I'm I'm going more and more deeply into that that world that sort of way of working with people where you really open up things verbally sometimes and now I'm just aware that I haven't been trained in that you know yeah. I've done enough personal work that I can navigate most things in a reasonably yes. kind and conscious way I hope but. I, I was thinking I should maybe do a therapy training of some kind. And right. and then I came across this and I was like, oh, that's it. Perfect. Yeah. It's a sort of yeah. bolt on for people who are already working with people in some way. And so, yeah, I'm delighted to be working with him. He's uh, The other thing I like about him is that he's more than any other teacher I've spent much time listening to. He's so ruthlessly honest about his own shortcomings and right. humanity. Yes. And I'm I'm tremendously admire him for that. And I aspire to being ruthlessly honest in the same way. And so yeah, it was a good fit. And yes. I'm very happy to be working with him. Beautiful. Yeah. And so it's inquiry, which is compassionate. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm just at the beginning of the course. So okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm, a, I'm a month in, so I, I don't yeah, want yeah. to wax lyrical about it too much. But, no, uh, but I, I think it's going to be a good string to add to my bow. Yeah, I'm sure it is. And and so, you know, if, I tell you what came up for me when I when I saw those words was mm. uh, somewhere on, on the, these bookshelves. There's a book by a guy called Edgar Shine called Humble Inquiry. 
Mm. And it's his. So Edgar Schein, you know, was a uh, professor at big universities around America and and did a lot of work on change management and uh, iceberg, you know, underneath the iceberg and on top of all mm. that sort of stuff and freezing and refreezing, very mind-based mm. stuff. And then he had a bit of a realization that it's actually, it doesn't matter how smart I am, because unless I can create a shared space for you and I to explore what this smartness might possibly be helpful to you, nothing's going to come of my smartness. So actually, I need to get into your world and, and inquire. And so he he went through a whole thing. I mean, he, he on one level, it's called process consulting, which honors the relationship between the consultant and the client as the thing that forms the, the outputs and the outcomes. Mm -hmm. Um, and then he, in his later life, got more and more into the sort of uh, maybe softer edges of even that. And one of the books is called Humble Inquiry. So that's what came came about. And, and basically at, at source, it's this idea of, again, this honoring of you and being genuinely curious about you. Not so that I need to fix you or change you or whatever, but just so that you can, from that inquiry, speak your truth mm. you know discover yeah. your truth and speak it out yeah. And, yeah. and in a world and, so noisy of here's what i have to say get mm. ready to hear it <laughs> yeah, mm. you know mm. um i think it's i think it's part of it connects back to me of the whole if human beings wake up then things can change but the inquiry mm. is part of it for me yes and and the world is full of people shouting loudly hoping to be heard and I think for most of us, there are places within us where we're actually very afraid of being seen yes. and noticed. And we're afraid to speak from those parts of ourselves. And my understanding is that we don't ever really feel able to come out with those more wobbly or even shameful parts of ourselves yeah. until we feel safe enough with someone in connection and that that's where recovery from bruising or even really damaging experience happens is when we're in a connection with another human being or human beings yeah. where we feel safe and what creates that is a sense of compassion yes and that until that's there, those wounded parts of ourselves will stay hidden because it's just not safe. Yeah. Mm. Beautiful. Mm. So one of the main themes of this podcast is what matters to you, uh, because what matters to you might matter to everybody. Um, mm. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that would fit as a, an answer to that question for you? Well, we touched on it at the beginning um which is just the state of the world and you know i i did go into environmental sciences in my early 20s hoping to make the world a better place um and i still i think like most of us at the moment you know we look at the world and we go ah mm. you know it's like there's so much hurting and so much insecurity and unknown and so that so much that's very obviously not well yes. but it's my fervent 
belief and experience that there's something going on on this planet actually that's tremendously exciting and positive and i don't think the outcome is guaranteed i think it's a little bit like we're in the last film of the lord of the rings and there's this sort of amazing battle between the light and the dark and or destructive forces and the and love shall we say and i think it's a tremendously exciting time to be alive and goodness knows what we're going to see over the next 10 years you know but but i'm on board and i'm giving everything i can and both through my own inner work which i hope i consistently attend to enough as a foundation for what i then have to offer but you know i'm i'm that's what i'm that's what matters to me it's like all of us this this amazing planet we're on you know like every who was it someone i think it was maybe it was oh it was my son it was my it was my son who's 20 and is just off to university and he's saying you know every year i notice the autumn and the spring more keenly and it's like more beautiful to me and i was and i was like you know what i'm 57 and i'm still having that experience like every year it seems more of a miracle and i do think we live on a miraculous planet and i think we human beings are absolutely miraculous and somewhere along the line we collectively got very, very hurt and troubled. And yeah. I think the time is now for beginning to mend and come together and let down the walls and the barriers. And I, I do think the possibility for genuine collective recovery from so many thousands of years of violence, and, uh, I, I think it's a very exciting time. Yeah. And that's what matters to me is the yeah. big picture and i'll do my little bit in my little sphere of influence but i do have my eye on the big picture yes and yeah it's very very powerful because you're embodying that sense of i i i know what i can do in my sphere and it will somehow connect to that bigger picture but i'm Mm. and i'm i'm gonna live it large yeah Mm. i'm not gonna because I, you know, I think I think that thing about even when we know that the outcome is not guaranteed, we can still show up in a particular way, which isn't observing, giving our opinion, giving our feedback, you know. And for me, Adam, you know, part of the I think one of the things that that came in the world over the last twenty years is this idea that we've been too many of us have been reduced to people who give our opinions from time to time. You know, you you before all this pandemic hit off, you know, you you couldn't go to a restaurant without being asked to review it on yes. supervisor. Was it you know? Mm. The internet is this sort of galaxy of everybody's opinions, as if anybody's mm. opinion makes a difference. <laughs> in <the> yeah. <laughs> so it's great. Let's have some of that. Yes, but who are you going to be, and how are you going to embody it? Mm. I'm, I'm with you on that. Mm. Beautiful. Are we complete? Feels like we are. Yes. Great conversation. Thank you, David. Bless you, Adam. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I will put Adam's uh, bio on the podcast page and a link to the movie, the film we've been talking about, a movie, the film we've been talking about, the video we've been talking about, and anything else that that we think will be helpful so you can 
take some of these threads further for yourself. And, and maybe I'll just say the name of the film for anyone who yes. wants to just go and see it if you can't see the show notes for any reason. It's on Vimeo and it's called Maths, Movement and Mysticism. Maths, so, Movement and Mysticism. Yeah, and it is maths with an S because I'm English. <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna honor the etymology etymology part of me and I'm gonna find out why the Americans dropped the S at the end of math. Oh, great project. Do let me know. I'll put that on the <laughs> on the podcast page as well. Adam Barley, thank you very much indeed. Thank you too, David. <laughs>